When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we are going to examine the life of psychic healer Lou Smith, who was the focus of a phenomenal book called Walking Through Walls by his son, Philip Smith. We're bringing Lou Smith to your attention tonight because he had such incredible gifts and talents and he was probably in the same league as the sleeping prophet Edgar Casey. There's a lot we can all learn from Mr. Smith in terms of maximizing our own human potential. There are many people who are naturally born psychic or born with special gifts. And while Lou had many gifts, in his case, he seemed that he really had to desire, work hard to fulfill his true potential in utilizing those gifts. So without further ado, let us begin tonight's program. Our guest today on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show is Mr. Philip Smith. He is the author of a brilliant book called Walking Through Walls, which is a memoir between him and his father, Mr. Lou Smith, who was an interior designer, spectacular interior designer in the Miami area, who also developed a keen sense of psychic healing. Mr. Philip Smith is a former managing editor of GQ and is an artist whose works are featured in the collection of the Boston Museum of the Fine Arts and the Whitney Museum in New York. Mr. Phil Smith, welcome to the program. Ryan, I'm so pleased to be here. I'm always happy to talk about uh, my father's accomplishment. Yes, so your book, Walking Through Walls, great read. I highly recommend it to anyone. Please tell our audience, right off the bat, what made your dad different than a typical father? Everything, <laughs> everything. Um, you know, he he always had a sense of the mystery and the esoteric about him. He went when I was a when I was a kid. I mean, we're going back to the early fifties, and he's doing yoga. He's a macrobiotic, and I remember I was in um, maybe fifth grade, and I I went to school. I did show and tell, and um, teacher said, "Tell us about your father." I said. Well, um, he starts his morning by meditating and does yoga, and the teacher's response is, yoga? What in the hell is that? <laughs> so that's how strange what he was doing in context. Now, you know, the guy who works in the post office is doing yoga, but back then he was, he was really out there. Okay, so he was pretty cutting edge for his time. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I want to jump yeah. ahead and let everyone know that Lou Smith, when you read this biography, you find out that Lou – had this amazing ability to heal people. He uh, was really involved, and he was actually 
diagnosing illnesses faster than the doctors would, and he can actually heal people. But prior to your father being able to do this, what was his trajectory? What had happened to him that he decided to get actively involved in this? Because prior to this experience that you describe in your book, he was living – him and your mother, you guys were – what interior, interior design decorators in Miami area? You were very successful. And yeah. what happens? One day he gets really passionate about metaphysics, spirituality. Like describe the whole process. Um, well, it's, I'll do this briefly because it's actually a long trajectory. Um, actually, if I found diaries of his um, from 1918 in which he's recording his dreams, and one dream he had, which he details that he had a dream about children in a in a train crash in the middle of a desert and they were screaming and there was fire and in the, you turn the page in the diary and he wakes up the next morning he said front page of the daily news he was living in brooklyn at the time um he said there was a train crash in nevada and 13 children were killed in a fire so at a very early age i think he was around 18 at the time um he was already starting to get uh, prescient dreams and feel things. He was always ordering books from London because there was no Barnes & Noble back then, and he was getting books on theosophy and meditation and Indian masters and the pyramids. So he was reading and self-educating. But really what happened was um, the turning point was 1968. He went to a, a meeting by a clairvoyant medium named Arthur Ford who – Basically, solved the Houdini code. I don't know if yeah. I have time to go Yeah, you solved the whole Houdini code. Uh, That's when what happened was the Houdini's widow was left these certain codes, and Harry Houdini had said that if there is proof of the afterlife, somebody will appear to you and, and tell you what was in those codes. That's correct. And she had offered, this is back in the 20s, she had offered, I think, a $10,000 reward, which was a phenomenal amount of money. And no one did it, but this guy, Arthur Ford, actually solved the, the cryptogram or the code and uh, communicated with her husband. So my father went to a lecture in 1968 of Arthur was giving in Miami. And when he walked in, um, it was packed, and a woman signaled him to come over, and he thought that there was an empty chair next to her. And she said, I'm looking at you. I see in your aura. You can heal me. I have cancer. I need your energy. And my father was, huh? What, what are you talking about? She said, put your hands on my shoulders. And his hands heated up like a toaster. And, um, and then they cooled down. He took them away. She said, thank you. I'm healed. This happened two more times in that lecture where someone signaled him to come over. He looked for an empty seat. And this woman had heart condition. Another one had a cold. And eventually he met Arthur. And Arthur, I have on tapes, um, him saying that my father is a great healer. And he just off he went. Wow. So he one day he's fascinated by this, and I guess he's had this ability. Did you ever notice anything prior hand to this that he could have healing abilities? Did you ever put your hand on your shoulder when you were sick and that you miraculously were healed? Was there any indication that he had these abilities prior to this event? No, but, you know, he was always, from, from when I was a kid, if I got sick, I, I didn't go to the doctor. He'd be giving homeopathy or he'd go out in the backyard and cut some herbs. And it was just like, oh, come on, Pop. I want to go to the doctor. I want to I get, get the polio vaccine. I want to get a flu shot or whatever. I wanted to be like everybody else and go to the doctor. And my father was sort of healing me naturally. Um, and we would go on fast. I mean, I was six years old, and we would go on fasts and cleanses. So this was all percolating. And then over time, he met some teachers, and then eventually he started talking to the other side. And it was almost like a correspondence course where the surgeons 
or physicians would come in and he'd start dictating messages from them and they would say, someone's coming to you tomorrow with, with kidney disease, the tumor is this big, here's what I want you to okay, do. And when he got these messages, was he healing, feeling, or visually seeing these spirit guides? I think they were implanting the the thoughts in his head and he was writing them down. He left behind about 5,000 pages of these dictations, which I'm actually going through again now to, to try and organize. But um, they would just come talk to him. But there were times that we'd be out at dinner or we'd be in a movie or we'd be driving on the highway. And after Arthur Ford died, um, Arthur, his signal that he was communicating with my father, which is what a lot of um, spirits do, uh, they come and they blink the lights. And Arthur would blink the lights three times. And we'd be out at dinner and the restaurant lights would blink three times. And my father would say, oh, Arthur's here, excuse me. <laughs> and he'd take out a pen and he'd just start writing. And there were times, because I was not exactly an angelic kid, I was, I was sort of a bad kid, and I was, um, you know, experimenting the way people experimented in the 60s. And there were times that I would be lying to my father, he would be asking me something. I'd say, no, I didn't do that. And then the lights would blink, and I'd say, oh boy, here we go. And it would be Arthur, and my father would start, right, well, Arthur says, you actually did do this. And so um, there was. I, I learned never to lie because it was pointless. Plus, your dad always knew when you were lying. And this one part of the book, I thought it was really fascinating, is that you said that you you couldn't get away with even you couldn't get away with masturbating because your dad would know. Your dad would know when you were hooking up with some girl or when you're doing anything. So, how was that like to know that every single thing in your life, even intimate thoughts or moments, your dad knew? Um. When I was a teenager, it was completely oppressive, and it made me very angry. Um, as an adult, I thank God for that because, you know, it, it, it saved my life many times. Um, a very quick story. I, I, when I was uh, 17 or 18, I went, to, uh, I went to Europe with my girlfriend, and I gave my father uh, our itinerary, and he said, you know, he would follow me. Well, at the last minute, we sort of, instead of going to Paris – we went to Spain, and I got deathly, deathly ill, and the doctors couldn't help me, and we thought I was dying. And um, eventually, I, you know, my fever broke, and suddenly, you know, an hour later, I was fine, and we were out running around. When I got back to America, and I called my father, and I said, hi, we're home. And he said, hey, I'm really sorry about what happened to you in Spain. And I said, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, you told me you were going to be in Paris on this date. I was looking for you in Paris because I knew something was wrong. You weren't there. I couldn't find you. I had to pull out a map of Europe, use my pendulum. I had to find out where you were, and then I could send you healing. You almost died in the future. Don't do this again. So, yeah, he did know where I was at all times. And um, it's sort of actually, when you understand it, it's a, it's a great feeling. It's pretty amazing. And I love that your father was describing how he's able to track you. I guess he was describing saying that every person has a vibrational frequency and if you focus on them you can locate them so the fact that you told him where you were you kind of went off his grid for a brief period of time I think it's pretty amazing that he was able he was able to eventually find you did your father able to reach out or communicate with people all over the world even people who I, he had never met before yes and he would get letters from people um, from other countries or he would get phone calls that someone's you know sister in Louisiana or in, in, you know, in Germany was sick. They didn't know what it was. And my father was able to uh, basically diagnose. 
he felt that everything out there, I mean, this is before the days, there was no internet back then, but, you know, he was like a human internet, GPS, all these devices that um, we sort of take for granted were kind of all rolled into one, and that was my father, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, so he could communicate, he could basically tap into people, um, and he he could read their entire body, scan their entire body, and know exactly what was going on. And also what you mentioned, going back to where the medical profession was 50 years ago, there were no CAT scans, there were no MRIs, I don't think there was ultrasound. So basically, if the doctor thought you had a tumor, you would go and you'd get an x-ray, and what they would see on the x-ray is not the tumor, they'd see a shadow. And guessing that that might be a tumor, um, they would open you up and do what they call exploratory surgery. So they're cutting you open, they're kind of poking around in there because they don't know what they're looking for, and yet my father had already called it and told them, here's where the tumor is, here's how big it is, but the thing is they didn't want to believe this guy they thought was a nut job, and they would get him arrested for practicing medicine without a license. They would go after him. He'd get thrown out of hospitals. Um, he would heal people who were terminal, and then their relatives would call the FDA or the cops on my father claiming uh, that my father gave them some, some medicine that, that made them deathly ill. I mean, he was such an anomaly back then. It's very hard to imagine how how strange this was. He was truly as if today we had a Martian beamed down and people were looking at this creature. That's My father was like a creature well, back then. This is going to actually split off in three different questions, but the first one I want to address, and one of the greatest parts, well, parts I really loved about your book, is when this FDA agent comes to your house and he's taking mm -hmm. pictures of these these pills. What are they, I don't know what kind of pills they were. It looks they were, they get their arsenic pills, and they were they were um, homeopathic arnica pills. pills. And this guy's giving your dad a hard time, and he's telling him, "I'm going to throw you in jail. This is not good." And he starts taking pictures of the pills with a Polaroid camera, and your father. Doesn't seem to be worried. You were seem to be very worried. And your father goes over and he's talking to one of his guides. And the guide's kind of relaying information. Say, listen, don't worry. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So the guy starts taking these Polaroid pictures. Everything is in focus except for the pill bottles. And it's making the guy crazy. And I love that your father was saying, well, the guy that I was talking to said to make – we worked out a deal so the pictures would be blurry. I thought that was amazing. And I was wondering if there are any other circumstances – when you witness supernatural activity, things that cannot be explained on a visual premise such as that? Um, there, there, were, there were a lot of, uh, I guess, synchronicities or, or events. And I think that I think we all have them in our lives. Uh, I'll give you a couple. And um, I think um, all of us have it. And when we start to recognize it, I think we, plug, we start to plug into, um, let's call it the flow, and the more you accept these things, that there's a certain song playing on the radio or there's a reason someone called, and it, it helps align you. And the more you kind of step into that, that energy field, the more these things happen to you. Um, they happen to me a lot. But, but, for example, my father, he had these little um, – it's really hard to describe these. He had these little cardboard squares that he would make. Um, for specific disease, thyroid cancer or congestive heart failure, brain tumor. Um, they were the size of a postage stamp. And uh, what he would do is he would take these little pieces of cardboard and he would sort of 
um, psychically or mentally imprint a cure um, uh, for the disease in that piece of cardboard, just like we're, we're doing um, genetic matching now for cancer and we're, we're trying to use the person's genome to kind of solve what is going to be the best drug that's going to open the receptors to, to treat. So he would, he would do this psychically uh, on these pieces of cardboard, and they were sitting above his desk. And if a patient would sit down, um, and my father would be diagnosing this person with a with a um, with his pendulum. All of a sudden, you just hear this click, click, click as these pieces of cardboard start to fall on his desk, and almost like dominoes falling. And he would pick each one up, and it was exactly um, what that person needed. I mean, there were no extraneous ones. I mean, if the person did come in, let's say, with a brain tumor. Um, they 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 weren't getting um, they weren't getting a, a little cardboard card that said tummy ache, so these are the kinds of things that happen to them sort of all the time. Okay. And when your father was doing a diagnosis of a person, he was always it seemed that in your book you said that he respected doctors, but he said that there were um, their methodology was different or wasn't exactly correct. They were treating the the I want to say it this way. They were treating the, the symptoms of the illness, but they weren't treating the root cause. And when your father would go in and look at a person's energy field, it seems that he would look and tell you what parts of the body were vibrating at a certain frequency. And the lower vibrating frequency parts of the body, what would be more inclined to be that that would be deemed to be something wrong. Like he could scan your body and tell you that there was something wrong with your colon based on its frequency. Can you describe a little bit more and detail about that or how deep you'd go into a person and how he was able to analyze and tell what exactly was wrong with the person. Yeah, this is actually a really great question, and it not only applies to 50 years ago, it applies today. Doctors are still, unfortunately, treating the symptoms. Um, and it's I think it's why we have such a not such a great cure rate in this country for all sorts of things. I mean, if you go in... Uh, gee, I, I just unfortunately hear stuff every day. Um, people go in for, you know, they present a symptom, and that's what the doctors look at it as opposed to looking elsewhere. And they don't they don't have the time to talk to the person. What are you eating? Did you fight with your wife? Et cetera, et cetera. And as a result, these people get more and more medication. And, I mean, why are people now on six and seven and eight uh, medications as, as standard of course? I mean, something's not working here. If, if these doctors are actually healing people, um, A, why are they on medication? And B, why aren't they on so much medication? And then they're ending up back in the hospital with things that are even worse. That's a separate conversation. Um, my father basically would diagnose, there's a lot of things that cause illness. And it could be, as I said, something you ate. It could be a stress factor. Uh, you fought with your wife or someone has threatened you. Or it could be karmic that you were killing people in your last life. And it could be also my father would describe um, these different energy bodies. And actually, the last of our five bodies that get six is our physical body. So there may be something in the uh, etheric body or in the mental body or in the spiritual body that, that there's a malfunction or there's something that's starting to go wrong and it will eventually funnel down to our physical body. And this is why my father said a lot of times doctors fail to diagnose properly because they're unaware of these other energy bodies. So what my father was able to do 
he had specific charts and he would he would check he would do a thorough workup on someone usually in about 5 minutes he was very quick he would he would scan their etheric body their mental body their astral body um he would then go down a chart with his pendulum um is it food related is it stress related and he what what always fascinated me is he could do psychotherapy on a person in about 3 minutes let's say theoretically someone came in with breast cancer and um um, my father would find out that this was emotionally caused, and he would start scanning down, and he would say to the to the woman, um, "Does May 29th, um, 1962, mean something to you?" And the woman might say, "I'm just talking generalities here." She'd say, um, "Yes, that's the date my father died, or that's the day my husband raped my my my." six-year-old daughter or something it could be a very traumatic event and my father would say this is the initiation of your 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 breast cancer cascade and we need to clear up the trauma of this event before you're going to get better because no matter if they cut off your breast or you do chemo whatever you're never going to get better because you're holding on to this trauma and I have to release this trauma now if this woman went to a, a psychiatrist that's probably 15 years of therapy right there, if not plus medication. So he would diagnose in many, many different paradigms to look at what was really causing this, clear that out, and it's gone. I mean, it's like your house is sinking, and they go underneath, and they see the termites have eaten the stilts or the support. If you don't replace that, the house is going to crash and fall. But if you replace those, those beams your house is still functioning, and my father basically treated it the same way. Unfortunately, doctors just don't know about all these different other areas that are involved with the human body. Okay, and in terms of what your father was doing, he seemed like he would give these people great healings. He would help them out in a very quick fashion. But in the greater scope of things, we come to this 3D reality, and it seems that it is a life lesson that we come through. We work through our stuff. We grow. We evolve. Do you feel that your father, by providing people a quick healing on their bodies, that he was possibly depriving them of the opportunity to work through these experiences themselves? Or do you feel that by him working and showing these people how quickly they could be healed, that it was more of an empowerment lesson for those individuals? Also, this is a this is a terrific question. Um, my father actually would ask permission, not only from the person, but from the spirits before he started um, healing and diagnosing. Am I allowed to do this? And if he found something, um, and the, 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 the most common example I would hear, if someone was basically in a hospital at death's door, um, he asked permission first to see, am I allowed to call this person back or is it their destiny they need to basically um, pass away now? So he, he was aware of this. The other thing about him healing so quickly, because if you go to the doctor and you have pneumonia, he's giving you a Z-pack of antibiotics and it's a 12-day course. So you say, okay, I'm going to be better in 12 days. But where my father, the dimension or realm where my father was working, time was not an issue. So in his mind, if he affected the cure, that's it. It's done. You know, right. um, he doesn't have to wait six days. He doesn't have to wait three days. It is done. He's already moved the needle, and um, it's up to you, the patient, if you're going to say, "Oh, this is nonsense," or "I'm not going to accept it," or or you're used to 
you know, taking a pill and six days later feeling better, you may uh, psychologically wait until six days and say, oh, yeah, this is working. Lou did help me. So there, there are a lot of uh, dynamics involved here. But he did ask permission before he would heal somebody. Your father had this tool that he would use. It was called the pendulum. And to give mm -hmm. people a visual description, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it is a small little hanging metallic item that you hold between your fingers and what you ask a question and it kind of goes to the left or to the right or does a circle. How does that work? Um, basically, yes, you're, you're correct. I mean, it was a, it had a little ball on the end, kind of like a pea and maybe a three, four inch chain. And there are pendulums out there now. Um, they're, they're increasingly common. Um, he would actually take his pendulum to the supermarket and, um, and I, at, as a teenager, I was so embarrassed I'd go running away when we went to the I love that part of the book, by the way. That was hysterical that he would actually, what, check on to see which, what, what fruit was ripe, what was going to be the best deal for everything. And didn't you mention one time that he went to the register and they overcharged him or he thought that it was overcharged and he said, what, the pendulum told him so? And the guy rejected Yep, and he was right. Uh, he would he would hold his pendulum over the zucchini or the grapefruit and say, which one has the highest nutritional value for me? Um, and how this works is, but he would also use the pendulum for diagnosing. So he was able to uh, tune in and find out, as I said, locate a tumor or locate um, some sort of blockage in the intestines. Or um, he could tell you how much plaque you had in your arteries. Basically, um, just like the best analogy, which people will understand because before they didn't, is just as we have the Internet and if someone says, what year did Edgar Allan Poe, the writer, die or how many books did he write, you go Google, blah, and you find out. My father, before the Internet, felt that all the information you know, throughout history and into the future is already available. It's already there. And it's just a question of basically tapping into it and locating it and knowing how to read it, knowing how to ask the question, knowing how to receive it. So he would use this little pendulum. There was nothing magical about the pendulum. It was just, I guess, in the way the, way the cops might use a lie detector instrument to sort of see if someone's lying. Of course, my father could tell that in two seconds. But um, there's, it's a or a better example might be a device to read someone's heart EKG and the doctor can then look at this graph and see if there's any abnormalities. So my father would use the pendulum basically um, as a tool to, to read or to get an answer to the questions he was, he was asking about someone's health or whether they were a criminal or whatever. Wow. Does that answer the yeah. question? Or it, it does. Okay. And there was one visualization where your father was showing you how powerful he was. I love this. He took you out in the backyard one day and he pointed out to the cloud. He said, watch that cloud. And he made this perfectly round, large hole through this cloud that stood there for hours. And what did I, how did that make you feel? And what was most compelling about that moment for you? Um, I was very young at the time, and my father had really not started healing. He had gone away, I think I was about six, and he sort of disappeared, and he had gone to an ashram. Um, and back then, trust me, people didn't go to ashrams. Um, 
he went to an ashram upstate New York to to study with this uh, guru from India, and um, he had learned meditation. He had learned certain abilities, not really his healing abilities yet. Um, and he came back, and um, he took me in the backyard, and he said, I want to show you something. You know, pick a cloud. So I picked this big cloud. He says, I'm going to put a hole in that cloud. So, you know, when you're six years old, you kind of think that your father's like everybody else's father and that, you know, Tommy next door, his dad can do it, and Julie down the street, her dad can do it. Um, but I also learned very quickly, you don't go to school and say this because um, parents, teachers, and kids get upset in 1960 when you say your father's punching holes in clouds. And you get visits from the principal, you get visits from the police. So it was like sort of the beginning where I learned that, um, you know, my face to the outside world, my presentation of who I am and my family is very different from what happens at home. It's like what's, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. I had to keep things under wraps because I sort of knew that my father was doing stuff that no one else was doing and no one really wanted to know that he was doing this. So it was really, I learned that my father just was a weird guy. And the way it really made me feel was, at that time, I really wished I had a more normal father, some guy who sold insurance or worked for the phone company. I really didn't want any part of this. It was too weird for me. Well, in terms of your own life, having your father that had all this inside information, was he able to point out things to you that were potentially very helpful? Was he able to point out certain people that you could potentially meet that you could marry or great opportunities for you to seize upon for your career or other questions that you may have had about the universe. It seemed like you had a, a I, encyclopedia in front of you at all times. Yes. And I think it was all the time. I mean, he, um, it was constantly, so it's not like there was, a, it was, it was, this is who he was and it didn't change like he just he was a psychic between the hours of 8 and 12 and the rest of the time he was a normal guy i mean he was out there 24 hours a day and everything whether it was a meal whether you went somewhere i mean everything had a psychic component if i went to a birthday party um you know he knew what presents people were getting <laughs> he 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 would tell me like to stay away from a certain kid because that kid was you know a troublemaker and um, I would just come home. I mean, there was there's one story in the book that um, this is not quite answering your question, but um, I was experimenting with with uh, you know marijuana and all sorts of things that that kids in the 60s did, and I was keeping it from my father. And so what I would do is I would bury the marijuana in a little like almost a Tupperware container in the backyard, put rocks over it, and we had a big backyard. And um, I never said anything about it, but one day I came home. And my father had dug it all up, and it was sitting on my desk when I walked in my room. He never said anything about it, but what he was telling me, I know what you're doing. I don't approve. Don't do this again. Um, so it was constantly like that. Right, let's just go into some of the things that your father said um, might potentially help or hurt an individual. Did he talk about marijuana? Did he talk about alcohol? Did he talk about other things that could be detrimental to a person's etheric energy field? Yes, and one of the things he was very concerned about um, was that when someone is high or if you're hanging out in a bar or if there's negative uh, people around you, um, that they can basically uh, punch holes in your aura or a lot of uh, discarnate 
entities who basically maybe they died in suicide or in a violent way and they haven't transitioned. They're looking for a body that they can jump into and inhabit. And, you know, listen, you hear it on the news all the time. Someone kills a neighbor and they say, oh, how could that happen? He was such the sweetest, nicest guy. How could that happen? Well, a lot of times it happens because a negative entity has taken control of that body and needs to, you know, perform these acts. So he was really concerned that basically um, things like, uh, you know, back then because marijuana was so illegal and there was an uh, element of uh, danger around it, and plus you could go to jail for a really long time back then, um, and alcohol, that not only it affected our precious, delicate brain cells, but that it also um, – you know, opened us up to negative uh, energies that could be. When you talk about negative energies that could be harmful, was that depending on the location that you were in, or could you um, do marijuana in a very safe place and enjoy it as a pleasurable experience? And also, with that question, is do you think your father would be greatly concerned that there are various states throughout the United States that are legalizing recreational use of marijuana? Do you think that that could potentially open the floodgates for, let's say, legions of dark, negative entities to host bodies and kind of do their bidding and kind of pull humanity into a um, uber dark era of the world history. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really a scary thought. I think that, well, based on my experience when he was alive, um, there was no, you know, things like um, the legalization of marijuana was literally an impossibility. He never thought it would. So we, it's not something we ever talked about. And I think that, um, you know, in his point of view, everything that's been put on this earth, God put here for a reason. And he would always say that basically um, all these drugs that they're getting, originally drugs came from from botanicals. And if, if, if there is marijuana on the planet, there's a, there's a reason for it, and it's here to, to be helpful, as we're seeing in, in increasing medical studies um, with people with epilepsy and other things. But that's a medical uh, usage, and it's very different than sitting there and just getting high so that your, your mind shuts down. Um, to paint such a dire picture of these sort of zombies controlling all of us, I don't I don't think that it's you know that serious because not it's not going to happen to everybody but there's also um there's ways to protect ourselves always i mean if i walk into a situation and some you know what i'll get is like i'll get goosebumps when i'm around someone or i'll start to get a headache if someone's very if i just if i'm sitting next to someone let's say on the bus or in a restaurant and i i start getting this unbelievable piercing headache that just came out of nowhere i know that this person has very dark vibes and I will just instantly um, surround myself with the white light of protection. And um, as my father would say when he would heal, this is not my condition. Um, so I make sure I know that this is not my condition. I think that everybody can actually protect themselves that way as they go through life. It's real simple. It, take, it takes uh, four and a half seconds. And it just, it's just a quick reminder to your energy field that you're not going to get something. So wait, wait, what do you do? So you feel that you're in a bad place? You just... What, you, you focus and say, I'm surrounding myself with a white light of protection. You visualize white light around you? Yes, and I ask that my vibrations be raised to the divine and healing level. And, 
it's and people say, oh, well, you're just saying something. Well, but, you know, when you turn up the, the volume on your radio, all you're doing is turning a dial. Or if you're watching television and you're watching CNN and then you watch, you know, some uh, sitcom, all you're doing is pressing a button and changing channels. But what's on those two channels is radically different, and you've changed the frequency, and that's how you're seeing different things. And the same is true of us. We operated at many different frequencies. And as you said, my father would, would basically, he charted every organ in the body as to their optimal frequency and then would measure um, the actual frequency if someone was sick. And he would know if they had uh, pancreatic cancer or if they had you know, heart disease and, uh, based on the frequency, the vibration. And the same is true of, of uh, you know, you walk into a room and you can tell instantly if you're sensitive um, that you like someone or that person is just sort of giving you the creeps or this person just you can just feel their anger because we're all emitting these these frequency it's it's almost like our cell phone it's in our pocket but you know there's gps up there that knows where all of us are at any given time and the cell phone tower knows how to you know send a call our way the same is true of humans. We are electrical fields. We're, we're electrical beings because that's how our heart goes, our mind goes. That's how I'm talking to you. That's how I'm seeing right now. It's all, you know, uh, vibration, frequency, and electricity. So, yes, all I do is when I walk into a bad situation or I think, or even when I get in the car or get on an airplane, I just pause for one moment and I ask, I bless everybody on the plane. I ask that, um, you know, I have a safe takeoff and arrival from here to there and that uh, the plane is surrounded by the white light of protection. So far it's worked. So um, it's an easy tip for everybody. I want to go a little bit farther into that previous question about, you know, saying sometimes there are, uh, are entities that kind of latch onto a person. They're looking for a host. And I think mm. there's a double side to this because if you can pick up and accumulate negative spirits, I can't imagine why you couldn't pick up and, and accumulate positive spirits if being in a right place of an environment. So on the negative entity side, when you pick up on these beings, how long do they typically stay with a person for? Also, how do you get rid of them? And if you are to wish to have positive influence, how do you collect and attain celestial spirits that you wish to you know, have in your field? I mean, why not be a little possessed by some Christ-type individuals or Christ-like angelic beings that will kind of assist you, maybe possess you to, to do something nice for someone instead of tripping them? Um, both are correct. Um, there are times that, uh, let's say you're sitting with a, a negative person at a, next to you at the movie theater, and you, like I said, you start feeling, I mean, I'll actually just get up and move. Um, but you, how long they'll be in your body, it could be anywhere from they get in there because they, they, they just want to um, do a specific thing. Or, you know, I got an email last night from some woman in Europe, and I mean, uh, her family just is, has been on this sort of downward uh, roller coaster for years, and uh, I've been sort of working with her. But I, I think that it, in talking to you right now, I just realized that, that, you know, she wrote to me just last night, uh, you know, now there's problems with her son and her husband, and I think this family just could be totally possessed, and they need to sort of say some prayers 
and send those entities back to where they came from. I've had some, I had some people here for dinner a couple months ago, and I said to them, you know, I've been, I've been kind of seeing someone in my house, and someone said, there he is, and I look behind, and I, I, it's, it's almost like a, a blurred person rushing by you. And I said, yes, that's exactly who I'm seeing. And I was concerned that maybe this person was, gonna, um, was here for harm, but basically I said, look, I don't want you here. Thanks for coming. I want you to go back to where you came from. You're not going to find what you need here. And that was it. He was gone, and he had been hanging around for quite some time. On the positive side, um, we're all surrounded by, uh, you know, the common term is angels. I think that's a little um, Hallmark Cardi. But I think there are very beneficial spirits that, that are in touch with us all the time, the problem is that we, we just don't – we're not plugged in. Just like um, if you keep hitting the remote on your TV but, but the plug isn't in, you're not going to see anything. So until we plug in and we start um, acknowledging these people, um, they're not going to communicate well, so with us. But they are How do we there. plug in? Like, do you have any a couple, a couple tips that we can plug in? How do we raise our vibrational frequency to plug in? I think there's a lot of different um, – these are such great questions. Thank you for asking them. Um, there's a lot of different ways I think that you can start. Let's say someone has a loved one who recently passed away. Um, what, what I tell people to do is as you're going to sleep, just before you go to sleep, you, 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 know, you raise your vibrations. You ask that you're protecting the white light, and then you say, I, you know, uh, you know if, it, if it's your husband or your wife or your – whatever, your grandmother, you'd say, you know, I'd really like you to visit me. And it may take a week, it may take three, four days, but you will start seeing dreams. And once, once you start um, getting, getting that indication that they're there, you can actually go to bed and say, um, Grandma, I'm going to sleep now, but I'm really worried about the mortgage. Should we sell the house? Do you have any advice for me? And again, it might take a, a couple nights, um, but, but that will come. And then there are times always... Um, what I do before I start my day, it's uh, I'm kind of busy, so I don't really have 30, 60 minutes in the morning to meditate. But I do take that four minutes or three minutes, and I sit there very quietly, and I, you know, I ask for a very positive day. I want very good things to 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 come to me, and I just I just stay on course. And um, you know, lights turn on in my in my house all the time in the middle of the night. Things sort of. Like recently, my watch disappeared. I looked all over for it, and then a week later, it was lying very neatly, perfectly laid in the middle of my living room carpet. Um, this stuff happens all the time and never used to happen, but I'm, I'm more and more involved in this. So I think it's out there for all of us, and usually if I go in, uh, let's say, to, to a medium for uh, reading, they said, gee, where do you want to start? You've got like 40 people around you. <laughs> yeah, I know. We all have that. We're all, we're all, whether they're direct relatives or they're people, and you ask for help. Just like if you want to, you need directions how to find the museum, you're in a strange town, you stop and you ask directions. So if you ask these people to come and help you, they will, and make sure that you ask that they come in the light as opposed to just, hey, I want some answers. Can someone come help me? Well, the bad guys are going to hear yeah. that too, and they may step in. You, one thing I loved you talked about in your book is you talked about there are a lot of people out there that want to believe. They want to feel this. They want to see it. They want to hear it. They want to connect with these spirits. They want to connect and know there's something beyond the, the 3D plane. And you mentioned that it comes down to one word, 
and that is faith. And you talked about having the faith to believe or take that leap that this could happen. And can you please describe how crucial faith is in terms of your spiritual evolution, in terms of how you've been able to become more open to these beings, and also how faith can actually draw a lot of people into these experiences that they're probably passionately trying to attain? Well, it's interesting. You know, we, we all operate on tremendous amount of faith every day, but because it's in the physical world, we sort of, we don't pay attention because people may say, oh, well, you know, I don't really quite believe this. Well, as a doctor friend of mine, a medical doctor in New York, we were talking about this, and she said, well, I don't believe in Lipitor. So there, um, she says, I don't think Lipitor helps heart disease. So we, we operate on so much faith, um, a credit card. They send you this piece of plastic in the mail, and you can go buy you know, new furniture and a TV and all these things, and you're just showing up with this little piece of plastic card. So you have to have faith that the um, – you don't walk into a credit uh, store to buy a new TV. Gee, I hope they're going to accept this piece of plastic and think that it's real and that it's really money, and they're going to give me this TV. You just go in. Here's my here's my card, and you know. And then the 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 vendor is saying, "Gee, um, I don't know where this person. This is just a piece of plastic. Should I really give them the TV?" No, we have faith that this credit card. Da, 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 da. Everything else, we take a pill from a doctor. We don't know what's in it, and, you know, it still may be not quite proven, but we have faith that they're giving us that pill, and supposedly it's going to help our rash or it's going to help our cold or whatever the reason they're giving. So there's a lot of faith. We operate on tremendous faith every day, and if we get in the car to drive to the office, um, gee, I'm not sure how to go. We just get in the car, and all of a sudden, you know, there we are. We're on sort of automatic pilot. So given that we operate that way, and we sort of consider all these things fact. The way I approach it is I don't consider this faith anymore. I consider it's a fact. I have no doubt that these these people who have left their body are not around me and are not communicating with me every day. Um, it's, just, that, it's my reality. That's all. It's just not anything that's, um, that I have to say, well, well, maybe there's an afterlife. So I think that if we just say, Listen, how did I wake up this morning? How, you know, how is it that I was able to actually um, look at something? We don't have cameras as good as that can see, you know, under different light conditions that our eyes can. So I think that part of the thing that I always remind myself is we are, as human beings, we're, we're miracles. I mean, all we are basically is a sack of skin with a bunch of chemicals and some salt water thrown in. And look what we do every day. It's kind of amazing. So if, if we look at ourselves as miraculous beings, then the, the next step of uh, are there other entities out there or can I influence the events of my life or can I have a more positive vibe? Can I raise my vibrations? Yes, all of that is possible because we are miracles. Okay. And your father had a lot of spirit guides that he was contacting with on a regular basis. And it seemed that he would just give them, talk to them as if someone else was talking to a person on the phone. Since your father has passed, do your father's spirit guides come to you and try to communicate with you? My father does. Um, so far, um, basically, whether it's directly to me or if it's through um, several different mediums that I've spoken to, it's always my father. I mean, he seems to be my 
my go-to guy, my main contact, awesome. as opposed to I'm not getting all the other ones. Um, they they don't. Now, what I hear is that they're there, but I think that my father is sort of is is the guy who's doing all the talking these days. And how does your father communicate to you? He's, he, in addition to mediums, does he do signs, visualizations? Do you ever feel an inner dialogue from within that is the voice of your father that is telling you certain things? Um, that and actually every night I sit down and I take um, dictation from him just as he took dictation from his spirit guides, you know, 50 years ago. So um, he's – and then um, I have this strange thing ever since I started, I guess about a year ago, um, taking this daily dictation. Um, my father uh, – there's um, – actually it's on the website. Uh, walkingthroughwallsbook.com. You'll see a little sketch my father drew, and it's a little sketch, pencil sketch of his face. And there's all these dots on it with different people's names. And these were the points on his face that different healers or spirits would come and just kind of tap him like on the point of his nose or his eyebrow to say, hey, Lou, I want to talk to you. Um, I have the same thing now when my father wants to talk to me. I, I have this, it's on the side of my neck that someone's sort of tickling me there or there's a, there's a mosquito there. And for the first couple months, I kept sort of reaching back there and rubbing it away because I thought there was a bug there. And it isn't. It's him. So um, that's, that's how I know. And that's the, I guess somehow, that's the arrangement that, that we've made. Um, um, I mean, Oof. I mean, these things just happen all the time, and I think that all of us can, can do this. And just curious, did your father tell you to do our show? <laughs> no, but I think that um, he didn't specifically, but you know, I, I, what, what I hear through the mediums is that he's talking to me all okay. day long. He said, you're getting a portion of it. So as you know, I reached out yep. to you because I thought, oh, um, you know, I thought Ryan would really like this book. And part of why I do this is I really do this for him and for all of us because, you know, when he was alive, what he did was, was criminal. What they, it was seen as criminal. Um, they thought he was Satan or, you know, you know, this evil communist guy or something. And he just wanted to really teach people and teach doctors that, you know, there's a better way here. And I really feel that by doing this book and by doing shows like yours, that I'm sort of um, I'm doing what what he sort of wanted to do, uh, and I'm it's sort of it's it's sort of my not my charity work, but it's my goodwill work that I do to kind of share what he because as I said I'm really a a, a painter I'm an artist, um, but I I love talking about it because it opens people's minds and it gets them curious and they start to really pursue other other ventures. Did your dad ever talk about God? Did he ever talk about what he? He perceived God to be. Did he perceive God to be an external being outside of human beings, or did he perceive all of us to be a part of God? And also, did he ever give you a visual description of what he thought God could have been or might be? Um, I think that basically he felt that we were, you know, it's all God, basically. You know, the leaves on the tree, the water. I mean, you think about what an incredible substance water is. We drink it. We wash the cars with it. We, it, it, it dissolves rocks. It, it, it creates electricity. Well, who thought of that? Who made that stuff called water? So, um, 
in his mind, we we are all God. We're part of it, and this is why this kind of crazy mythology of people killing one another. You know, it's we're 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 killing all of us. Or if we poison the water, we're poisoning all of us. We're all we're all in this. Um, when he one medium that I had a very long conversation with my father, and he really did talk about his passage when he he left the earth, and um, it was. God seemed to be really. It's very difficult to describe, but it, it was a it was a presence, but not a physical presence. And it was something that you felt, that you knew was communicating with you, and was sort of also. Uh, I guess it's almost like a force is the way it was being described because it really you knew it was there. You knew it, it was communicating with you. It you knew it was part of the, the the dynamic of everything working together. Um, you could understand it. You could be part of it. But it wasn't like, you know, this guy in a white beard in a robe. Your father, did he ever have any visions of prophecy as to events that would occur in the world and the United States long after he had passed? You know, I, that one of the reasons I'm going through his messages um, from the late 60s and the 70s, um, he talked, I know that there's a bunch of them. I, I, I went through them when I wrote the book, and I'm, I'm you know, there's 5,000 of them, so I'm, I'm going through them again. But he, the, a lot of the messages were concerned with, with, with the environment and um, the destruction of the planet and the destruction of the water and the rising sea levels. Um, I mean, climate change is something people have been talking about, what, a year, two years? And this is 1972, he was talking about it. Um, and um, he was very, very concerned because he, he said we're unleashing these, these torrents of, of, of change that we may not be able to call back. So he was very concerned about that. I know he was very concerned about... Um, the negativity of music, because he he thought that you know of certain back then there was no rap, but of rock music, and and he felt that um, you know music music when it was created was really about moving you to a higher vibration and using stimulating other parts of your brain that weren't being stimulated by you know everyday life, and he felt that these were very dark energies that were coming from this music and were were not helping us. And then I think if you you know, listen, you look around these, these kids who go and they, they, you know, shoot up a room full of kids or they they go to college and they shoot people. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, why? People, people I love on the news, they say this is a mental health issue. Well, no kidding. Anybody who kills anybody is sick to begin with. But the thing is that there, there's, there's so much darkness out there. And I think he was very concerned about this growing epidemic of darkness. And that's why these little tips that I gave you earlier, I think it starts with every one of us. It's every one of us can move closer to the light and be more positive and not be so reactive and not jumping on people because anger is a real virus that spreads. And we, we don't want to put any more um, anger in the world. And it's very hard. Listen, we all get angry. But um, some guy I was driving today cut me off and was honking his horn at me. You know, I just, here, you go ahead, go. 
you know, you're in a hurry, whatever, you're not a good driver. I don't even want to, I don't, I don't want to enter your energy field. Go right ahead. Otherwise, instead of chasing them down, honking my horn, blinking my lights at them. So I think we all have a job to do, and that is to really be as positive as possible. And I'm not saying be Pollyanna and sunny and stuff, but, you know, watch yourself and, and don't waste your energy going after people. Don't waste your energy fighting with people. Our energy is, is delicate and, and it's ours. We own our energy. Use it for the, the best possible thing you can. Your book, I feel, after learning, reading, after reading your book and learning about your father, the thing that was sounding alarm bells off in my you know, mind, body, spirit was that this person, Edgar Casey, could have been inseparable. Reading about the works of Edgar Casey, what he was doing, Edgar Casey tapping the Akashic records. Did your father and Edgar Casey ever meet? It's, I know that you said that he, your father and Edgar Casey's son got along really well, but were you kind of amazed at yeah. how how similar or how um, amazing both their abilities were? Well, I, my father, as part of his evolution, uh, and I gave you the, the the Cliff Notes version of it, but he was very early on in the in the in the sixties reading uh, Casey's books, and he was fascinated that this guy could a get information out of nowhere, and again, this is before we had wireless, um, that he could pluck information from the air accurately and that he could diagnose and heal people. And my father, just it, that was just a burning desire in him. And later on, I think in the 70s, uh, Edgar's son, Hugh Lynn Casey, would come and visit my father and stay with us um, during the winters uh, in Miami and um, my father was very, very interested in Casey's work. I've spoken um, twice at the Casey Foundation in New York, um, but yeah, it's it's. And as my father would say, "What I do, you can do. I'm no different. I'm not special. I'm not anybody, who, you know, who who you know is any different than you." And he felt all of us had this ability. And do you have any children by chance? No, okay. I don't. All right. The final question I have for you, Mr. Phil Smith, is this. I read that you it was I read that in your father's notes, your father prophesied a long time ago, maybe even thirty years ago, maybe even before you were born, that you were gonna write a book about him. Can you please describe that and how you found out about this? Yeah, this is um this is uh I worked on this book for about ten years because it was so much research and and I wanted it to also be a compelling story. I didn't want it to be some dry read. And I felt the best way to get people on board with with what may be strange activity for them was to tell it in a in a really compelling way. Um, and after I had just finished the book and I had shipped it to the publisher, I was cleaning up my house with, had turned into a library. And I had stacks of his folders and stacks of his tapes. And I was going through them putting them away because I, I needed to live again. And I found this folder that wasn't marked and um, of messages, more messages. I thought, oh, geez, I hope I didn't miss anything. And I'm going through it, and there I see messages from Chander Sen, one of his spirit guides, telling my father, this was actually in the early 70s, um, telling him to organize all his material and get things organized because Philip was going to write a book on him. Now, I was in the 70s. I, I think I was in my first year of college. I was not a writer. I, you know, I, I, I had no interest in being a writer. So this sort of spooked me because I thought, 
hey, I thought this book was my idea, but in fact it was sort of predestined, and it, I guess the time came to be. And then the other thing is I, I keep all his uh, cassette tapes in, in, in plastic Ziploc bags in a plastic container, so in case there's ever any you know storm or anything. And I found a bag that of cassette tapes that was not labeled. Um, so I thought they were blank, and I don't really use a cassette player. I was going to throw them out, and then I thought, well, take them in the car and just stick them in the tape player and just listen, make sure they're blank. And so one of them was a reading he had also in the 70s with this English woman who was giving him a psychic reading. And at some point she said, you have a son. And he said, yes. She says, oh, good, because he's going to write. Um, she says, I don't know what you call it, because I don't think they called them memoirs back then. She says, it's kind of like going to be like a documentary. And you need to organize all your papers so he has access to everything because he's going to be writing this book on you. And that was um, like 30 more, almost 35 years before I wrote the book. Amazing. That's really amazing. And Mr. Phil Smith, this was a compelling, fascinating interview. I want to thank you. Thank you so much. And to let everyone know, Phil, how can people find out more information about you in your, in your book? Um, well, the book is, I guess, you can go to Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble called Walking Through Walls. There's um, a really nice website called walkingthroughwallsthebook.com, and in it, um, on it rather, I have um, some of my father's messages that you can see. I have his healing tools, some of his charts. It's a little bit of a museum to my father. Um, I am working slowly on a book because I've gotten, I, I think, at least 50,000 emails People ask me, how did he do this? And so I'm starting to write a book on his techniques so people can incorporate whatever they want into their life and use it in a way that, that could be helpful to them. That's really amazing. Phil, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks yeah. for everything. I appreciate it. Joining us now is the angel reader, Miss Laura Lynn. To learn more about Miss Laura Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Lynn. What can you tell us about the life of Lou Smith and Philip Smith? Well, amazing story. I really was intrigued and thrilled to hear it. And I was taken by the fact that the father was certainly a master uh, in this journey and in the physical life. Uh, You've heard of spiritual masters before that help us in our in our quest, correct? You heard of, the, yes. And uh, what I'm getting from the essence or the spirit was that he is a he is a ascended master energy who decided to come back here to Earth to help people heal on a very deep level. But what the healing when it took place on a physical level, it was actually helping on the ancestry line as well which would go back and help people in the deep roots, but also in past lives. It, it went in so many different levels. It's very amazing. So you look at Lou Smith, and you're somebody who's very familiar with Edgar Casey. How do you yes. see their mm-hmm. energy patterns and their vibrational frequencies compare and contrast? Well, Comparatively, Lou is a little bit different than Edgar. Edgar is very much home-based, if you will. He 
he's here still. He will continue to come back many, many lifetimes to continue his work to help. Where Lou is from a different, I don't know, different cosmos energy that seems distant but familiar. I And I don't know how to better explain this other than saying that his energy is very friendly and the warmth that he brings here is to help people find find peace within their soul, harmony within their soul, where Edgar Casey was primarily for physical manifestations to be our, our greatest self so that we can really um, do well here on the earth sphere. It's so, so different, but yet so much the same type of energy, how they work the frequency through. In terms of Philip and Lou's relationship, can you please describe on a metaphysical and energy level why those two have come into existence this lifetime to be father and son? Right. Well, they were actually father and son before uh, many, many, many years ago. And I'm, I'm talking back in the 1500s, 1600s, during very, very dark ages, very, very difficult times. They uh, actually worked together and wrote many uh, transcripts on deep spiritual truths. And what I'm capturing on the son from the son's perspective is he got locked up and his father helped him become free. So during this lifetime, they did make a contract from what I was picking up to come back and in essence, his father freed him again. And the freedom that he is going to take on, and I'm saying going because I don't I don't feel like he's really has the perspective of how much of a strong healer he is. When he really taps in and gives himself permission, he is going to break free and be able to do what his father has done. What is going to take for Phil and to do that, though? Because I know Phil, when you talk to him, he's very humble and he's in awe. And you can tell how much he loves his father. And right, well, he's going to do it silently, if you will. He seems because of how his humble nature. Just the thought process that he puts into a person through his caring heart, he will be able to bring that healing manifestation on. And many people are going to be healed without their knowledge that it was his perspective that brought that forward. Now, I'm not saying that he won't also be able to write and to lecture and to bring more information about the healing process, but much of what he does is going to be silent work. Okay. And is there anything you mentioned that... Lou and Philip experienced a past life together. Are there any past lives of Lou Smith you can specifically cite or pick up on? I just kept on getting the information about him being a master and that he is going to come back uh, 
I don't know. I don't. I didn't get a clear picture of when, but he will be coming back to help again. Feels like he's going to come back after there's a major tragedy on the planet Earth, and he's going to help people find their way that feel bewildered and feel crippled from this event that takes place. It felt like 100, 120 years from now, but right now he is going to, in the interim, continue to work with groups of people, groups, group consciousness to help people align and to escalate their, 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 their promise, their, their purpose. Okay. What about Lou's next life incarnation? Where do you sense it or feel it? It was, I, I really didn't pick up when or where, and it was more the information of what it's about, and it's about continued healing. And what I suspect will happen is that this there's a group, a conscious group that's working together with these two, and I believe the council is going to conclude that they're going to need to all work together for this excuse me, for this, I'm, I'm hearing harmony breach. That's what they're waiting for, harmony breach. And I, what that means I, I, I'm capturing is that there is going to be a breach in society and they're going to be here to, to restore harmony. Is there any advice that you would provide to Lou Smith in terms of what he can do to, you know, complete his evolutionary cycle in this life incarnation, anything he can do to maybe heal any pain that he's suffering, and is there anything that he can do to further strengthen his relationship with his father? With his father, if he would allow 20 minutes, 25, 30 minutes a night to just listen, to communicate with him, and to process the information I'm capturing that the again the group consciousness is what's going to be filtering through his son. He the the energy that I have is so high, and so it's like crystalline. It's, it's pure pure energy. If he just breathes that in and accepts what comes to him, his father's going to lead him to continue this quest to bring information. What's going to happen from the the book is that it's going to rapidly open people's eyes. There's going to be a, a spiritual awakening that happens very quickly when people read this information, and it's going to it's going to bring an excitement. I, I feel like there's going to be uh, group gatherings based on the book, and you're talking about the new, you know, I'm just, the new I, book. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if he just continues to put it out to spirit that he wants these words out there to who needs to get it, it's just going to continue to climb. And I, I just really am thrilled about the information that he put out there. Miss Laura Lynn, that was a fantastic analysis. And to learn more about Miss Laura Lynn, the Angel Reader, please go to our website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Laura Lynn. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, 
Ms. Constance Ellis. You can learn more about Ms. Constance Ellis by going to her website at ConstanceDellis.com. Ms. Dellis, what can you tell us about the life of Mr. Lou Smith and his son, Philip Smith? Well, um, a very interesting pairing. Um, first of all, uh, Lou Smith, um, who was born in, in Russia, um, and we don't have birth times for either Lou or Philip. Um, Philip probably could find his if you were so inclined, but right now he, he doesn't have it. Um, but that's okay. We do a different kind of chart. It's called a solar chart, and it's based just on the birthday at noon. It's still very uh, revealing. Um, Lou Smith was a concentrated um, energy powerhouse. Uh, his sun sign was Aquarius. His moon sign was Aquarius, Saturn was in Aquarius, and Mercury was in Aquarius. And to say he was ahead of the curve is to put it mildly. Um, Aquarius is an interesting sign because um, the ancients couldn't really see past the planet Saturn. And so uh, Aquarius was always thought to be Saturn-ruled. Then we discovered Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, and after observation, we thought that Uranus is more the ruler of Aquarius. So you have two distinct types of Aquarian personalities, um, a rather conservative Saturn-oriented, more like a Capricorn personality, and then what all I can say is like the space age, you know, the space traveler, and Lou belonged to the, um, to the second group. Um, he, and I thought that Philip in the interview made some in fantastic comparisons with how modern medical technology caught up or has caught up MRIs and, and ultrasound and uh, other things with talents that healers have known about or have possessed when they have the gift for many years. Because with all of that um, um Aquarius, Lou was like a human x-ray, and he could and did, as Philip explained, see multi-dimensions of the problem. Um, he also, and this is perhaps the most interesting part, so how did he do it? He did it um, through the air. Aquarius is an air sign, so he, he was able to concentrate his rather uh, intense powers and get the message. Uh, this is different from Edgar Casey, for example, which you had made a, a link. Casey went to sleep. He was a trance medium, and his information came through his subconscious when uh, he was asleep. But the thing that made uh, Lou very uh, compassionate and also, um, I would say, led him to school himself in these um, in, in, in the ability to do this. Uh, and then to share it with people was the um, two positions, uh, Mars in Pisces and Jupiter in Pisces. Now, the Jupiter was very close to Edgar Cayce's Pisces. That's not enough to say that Lou Smith was reincarnation of Edgar Cayce, not even relevant here. But that watery sensitivity of Pisces gave Lou his artistic abilities and also the ability to communicate and share his gift with, uh, with other people. Um, I think that he himself was a very disciplined person and um, very, maybe somewhat remote sometimes. And 
that's what becomes quite interesting with the relationship with his son, uh, Philip. He always could pinpoint, like, you know, with the pendulum, okay, you're supposed to be in Paris, but you're really in Spain. No, no. So he, he knew those things because his intuition was so uh, t- uh, tuned up. And there was no doubt that he uh, protected and guided his son. But I'm not so sure there was a, a warm, cuddly feeling all the time. There was enormous respect and um, um, uh, the sense of, of the gift of his heritage that um, Philip really eloquently expresses uh, in, the, in the interview. Um, the Mars planet in Lou's chart is the strongest. In Philip's chart, Venus is strongest. And so what we see there is his uh, artistic ability that is um, paramount rather than the healer. So he um, knew about these gifts, but that's not his particular um, forte. Um, Venus and all um, Venus-ruled occupations are where it's at for him. And if that has a healing um, response for people, that's just fine. If not, that's okay. He's not too concerned with that. Um, The other connection that I think is interesting between the two Smiths is that the North Node, which is not a planet, it's a position in a chart, in Lou's chart is in Virgo. And Philip's sun sign is in Virgo. So the clarity, discipline, and analytical ability that Philip has naturally by virtue of being a Virgo was something that Lou had to learn because his intuitions and his um, uh, kind of other otherworldly talents uh, were natural, but he had to learn to kind of organize them. And Philip has a certain organization innately. Uh, and then we see that Philip's north node was in the, his father's sign of Aquarius. So they were both definitely connected uh, as family members in past lives. But this time around, I think that there was a, a certain kind of shuffling to come to an understanding of each other's uh, talents. It may not have, not have been so easy, and, and Philip told some funny <laughs> stories, okay. uh, having, having a Martian uh, for a father. He wasn't really a Martian, but um, he, he, he was uh, definitely in touch with um, occult and higher energies and saw the big picture when uh, the new age hadn't even been invented. And when I say invented, I mean because, you know, now if somebody says, um, oh, yeah, my spirit guide told me, everybody will say, oh, cool, awesome. But in, 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 the, in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, it would say, whoa, Looney Tunes time. Nice. Um, so, but Philip has come to um, not only grips, but an eloquent understanding of the gifts of his heritage from his father. I'm not so sure it was always so easy growing up. Based on what you've come to know about Lou, based on what you've mm-hmm. come to know about Philip, do you what do you where do you see uh, sorry. Sorry Constance, I'm having a bit of a brain cloud right here. Um okay. that's what I actually that's what I wanted to ask you. Based on the chart that you're looking at for Lou, mm-hmm. do you feel that he went above and beyond 
what his original soul mission might have been for this life incarnation because it seemed that he went so advanced that he knew so much that he seemed to be one of those individuals that could be fully that you would see in a science fiction fiction movies using 100% of their brain. Um, yes, above and beyond, that's a value judgment that somebody that wasn't necessarily in tune with what he could do do uh, would make. And I don't mean to put that down, but he he actually had to express this energy. Uh, and he was fortunate to find um, spiritual avenues for it because had he not, he just would have been a crackpot. Um, maybe a very artistic crackpot, but somebody who really couldn't negotiate the here and now, which he may have had a little of trouble with anyway, but he, he, he managed it. So I don't think that, um, I think that his, his life force his electrical energy, and I will call it electrical energy, was really powerful and had to find different ways to express it and to discipline it. Um, some people, you know, maybe, I mean, he, he chose to have a family, a career, and a, a marriage. So he was here on earth. He didn't go off to the monastery to, um, uh, to meditate for all of his life. He touched in with that to learn the skills of um, his, own, his own heart, his own soul, but he was here. And uh, so that meant that he had to accept the parameters of the earth and also lead other people outside of those parameters because he really had no choice. That was his, his, his gift. Right. When you look at Lou and you mm -hmm. see the great gifts that he had as a person and all these mm -hmm. incredible advancements in being able to diagnose illnesses, being able to pick up mm -hmm. on people. You look at someone like that and you maybe say, well, maybe that's just a rarity to the, to the norm. That's just somebody who's just rare and you know, that, that'll never repeat again. What I wanted to ask you is, astrologically speaking, if you're looking at the chart of humanity, do you think that Lou Smith is the future of humanity? That oh, definitely. So you think that definitely, humanity definitely. humanity is going to is going to get to that point where we'll all be able to some way absolutely really yeah and and you kind of pinpointed something uh, interesting the last astrological age uh, is or was I say is or was because a lot of astrologers believe we're not quite in the age of Aquarius yet but uh, potatoes potatoes who cares. The last age was the Piscean age, the age of Pisces. And the, the great master of the Pisces age was uh, Jesus Christ and the development of Christianity. It was an age of faith, of sacrifice, and of redemption. And all religions that were carved out at that time have those themes to a certain extent. The next age, the age of Aquarius, is a more uh, is a global uh, age, is a age of developing um, human traits to their let's say um, to their maximum ability. I'm not going, I'm not saying that we're all going to be better than Jesus Christ. That that's absolutely um, well. It's neither here nor there. It's not important. But the the talents of seeing remotely of um, that example of those little cardboard squares and imprinting healing energy in them. I mean, that's like a, a silicon chip. 
and what we're doing with the silicon chips right now is just you know making Google rich, but we will start to do other things with this technology to to balance and increase um, life and livingness so that we can, as a planet, evolve and solve the current problems. So I, I think that he was, uh, I mean, to say ahead of his time, just putting it mildly, and that is the direction that we're all going in. But some of us aren't there yet, and uh, it'll take a lot of uh, lifetimes before we all are. And one more question with regards to what mm-hmm. you just had said, stated about this being the future of humanity, lose talents being the future of humanity, do you think there's a possibility that humanity may actually be rediscovering these talents that lose way of life or methodology of doing things? May have been something that at one point earlier in human history that humanity actually had but lost for whatever reason and that we're regaining it? Or do you think from uh, what you're able to utilize astrology that no, this is actually something humanity has never grasped fully that this is something that will be available for the first time to to the masses on a mass mm-hmm. scale? Um, well, there's kind of two ways that I think about that. Um, the lost continent of Atlantis and many of the people who have studied lost civilizations um, totally believe, and evidence supports this, that, um, let's say, soul power, spiritual power, um, being able to um, move great mountains, like nobody's solved how the pyramids happened, uh, that, that that concentration of energy certainly existed in a, a, a simpler civilization, simpler because um, they, they didn't have the technology. Electricity, for example. Well, now we have a, a, an incredible array of technology, but we kind of forgot about our intuitive, our spiritual, our um, uh, soul uh, instrument and uh, got lazy. To put the technological capabilities that exist today with that soul power, that's the direction of the Aquarian, um, uh, the age of Aquarius. So we, the, the, I, I don't think we're going to go back to what was. I think we're going to go forward to a, a um, compilation, a synthesis of all knowledge plus soul awareness or different paradigms, different um, reality awareness. And the two together, we can kind of clean things up because we've made a bit of a botch of it at the current time. This constant Celis, that was a really great analysis, great analysis going above and beyond as always. To learn more about Ms. Stellis, please go to our website at ConstantStellis.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Stellis. My pleasure. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, the psychic powerhouse, Ms. Carrie O'Connor. To learn more about Ms. Carrie O'Connor by going to our website at CarrieO'Connor.com. Ms. O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Lou Smith and his son, Mr. Philip Smith? I loved hearing that story. I ordered the book as soon as you um, talked about the interview, Ryan. I think the book is going to be really important, and I'm so excited that he's writing another book because Phil is a perfect example. Philip is of he's a channel for his father. His father was a forerunner, and they have this beautiful communication that's going to show people mediumship. It's going to show people healing. It's going to show people he was doing remote viewing before anybody else was doing it or, you know, Edgar Case we heard about, but... He was doing amazing, amazing 
medical stuff way ahead of his time, and now I just see that they're just beginning. I see that he's going to write another book, and I see that Philip's going to also write a third book after he writes this book, and it's going to get a lot of attention. So they're a tag team. The father still considers himself very much alive, but he's not in his physical body anymore, and so he's not restricted. He has access to all the different dimensions, and it's a real timing thing. Philip's timing, and then when I saw Philip's artwork, he has sacred geometry and healing that was coming off that artwork that's very much like his father's healings. And I, I felt it. I saw the DNA strands, and I know that his art absolutely has profound physical healing. So he absolutely heals through his art, and that the books are also going to help people for many, many, I see many people study them, thousands and thousands of people studying and people waking up and understanding it, and it's a real timing thing. He was way ahead of his time, and now it's his time to go out to the world even bigger, even though Lou is not physically here. He's, he's still energetically here, big time. Right, in terms of Lou, I mean, this gentleman was so inquisitive, he explored all these different avenues to develop his capabilities. Have you ever come across another individual, even along the lines of Edgar Casey, that had the same type of abilities? I mean, it was just incredible. I, I, I was blown away that there aren't hundreds of books written about Lou Smith when you think about all the things that he was able to accomplish. Right. I've not heard of anybody do such a, um, a wide, diverse thing. Usually you could have a specialty, like mediumship, or you could do the healing, or you could do hands-on, but this guy did pendulum, he did remote viewing, he did everything. And then I was really curious when I went on the website of I know the sacred geometry cards because my guards will come in and they'll give me different symbols and they did since I was a little girl and I understood it later as sacred geometry and they would tell me to put it on certain people's heart chakra or they would tell me what, the, what disease they would have. So he was able to, what, in five minutes get disease and down to the point where there was no CAT scans, no MRIs and be able to diagnose and tell you where it was, where what it was, where it was, how big it was and what to do with it. And then just to be able to speak to um, Dr. Bach, the homeopathy guy that was dead 100 years before that, and he had the knowledge to give people remedies that were, again, way ahead of his time. And so I see that this guy came in to go out to now not be in a physical body, who I'm speaking about, so he could reach the masses now. And the sun is absolutely going to be the deliverer of helping wake up a lot of people, have a huge um, uh, understanding going back more to homeopathy. We're getting back to the new age is really new and young when you think about it. And so more and more people are going to be interested in getting understanding what his his teachings were and how advanced he was. Right. If you tap into Lou Smith's energy, and you also look into the energy of Philip Smith, what past lives do you see or sense of Lou Smith, and do you see previous lifetimes where Lou and Philip have shared together? And if so, which ones come to your attention? I see lifetimes that have not been on this earth plane. And they usually don't bring me to that one, the, the space immediately. Usually they'll do one on the earth plane. But I see an era that looks very, it's, you could call it the Syrian energy, or it's way up into the... Um, the 10th, 11th dimension, where you see a lot of sacred geometry, and it looks like building blocks. They work together with building blocks with DNA. You could say that they worked in Lemurian times, Atlantean times, with the healing temples that we know existed, and there's going to be further proof. But I do believe that Philip, and I just got this, Lou's going to help Philip prove that the Atlantean times in the... Um, Lemurian times were actually real. They're going to be finding those islands, and he's going to be very much part of that. And so they spent many lifetimes together as I see them side by side as working as um, 
as companions, as um, as like cohorts, as as like a, a, t- a tag team, as two brothers. I just saw too many lifetimes together, helping each other out in in progressing. I also saw that there was a time that they had a lifetime together where they were doing um, sacred geometry and um, in building up temples and cities, and um, that was based based on feng shui, sacred geometry, and in healing arts. Okay, based on Lou energy, you see Philip. They seem to be doing something I call it maybe very uniquely different. You know, it's something you don't see every day or you don't engage in various cultures. It just seems like it's on its own plane of existence. And I was wondering if their time on Earth in this physical dimension on Earth is one that is brief for maybe a few lifetimes as opposed to several reincarnating lifetimes. Because you said that they're from a different reality or a different planet or a different uh, dimension. Yeah. They come in, Ryan, sometimes, 90% of the people you see them come in a trajectory that you can see is very linear. Every once in a while you run into somebody that comes into what Stuart Weil would call the 45-degree right. So that means these people come in as beyond old ancient souls. They come in for a purpose. They have a, they're making their mark in the world. They've come here to make their mark, to change societies, change civilizations. This is where you see people that come in like Jesus or Buddha or people that have um, Edgar Cayce. They absolutely come in here with the purpose. They are not so caught up into the physics. They're beyond the matrix, you could say. They don't have to deal with um, uh, the third-dimensional third um, reality. Lou was way ahead of his time studying what he was studying when he was studying it. He was a designer, so you could say that he was balancing his left and right brain, but then he took that study and he, and he took it further. He was always interested in what Philip was talking about, his father was doing yoga in the 60s whenever his father was like mowing the lawn and drinking beer in front of the TV, you know. And his father was doing yoga and having um, uh, the macro diets. And so he was way ahead of his time. So those people that come in those different trajectories, those different planes, they don't really care what society says. He talks many times that the police were investigating him or he was arrested for practicing medicine without a license. They tend not to get bogged down where some people that come from that linear trajectory they could have a desire, they could get messages, and but they will stop themselves and halt themselves if they're going to go against the grain. Okay, and Lou, throughout the book, we learn that Lou was constantly in contact with various spirit guides. He mm-hmm. was always talking to someone, and I'm curious to know if these spirit guides were departed spirits that he had known earlier in his life, or if they were maybe spirits that were not even of this earth. They were spirit guides that were from, you know, various dimensions. And also I'm curious to know if Philip has some of the same spirit guides that his father Lou has. Yes, I see that they share a lot of the same guides, a lot of the same guides. I see the Chinese man was Lou in a previous life. And that's what could be confusing with some people, that they look at a guide and it was them in a different lifetime. They had an awareness there. They had consciousness there. And so you you could be looking at something that people refer to as their guide, but it's actually them when they reach full consciousness or they came in from a different dimension, and it's they're actually looking at an aspect of themselves. Wow. And I see that with Lou came in with a lot of those. And they do share a lot of the same guides. But that Chinese man in particular, when I saw that, I got my whole body shaped because I knew it was him in a different dimension, a different lifetime, and he definitely came in from the 10th and 11th dimension. Okay, and what do you think would be maybe a couple of things that Lou, uh, that Philip can do to further honor his father's memory and to further 
raise awareness of who his father was and bring his father to the masses? It's getting those books out, getting the knowledge out, getting the, I know he's doing a lot of organization. I give him credit for it. I think he said it took eight years to get all his paperwork. But I also see the father saying, hey, we're going to do this. To, um, it's like a tag team. And I see the third book in particular it looks like a manual. It looks like something that will come very quick. So the first one looked like it was like years and years of organization. The second one's not going to be that as hard. It's not going to take as long. Excuse me. But the um, third one in particular, it'll be a hand guide, a manual that's going to be very, very helpful for everybody. It's going to, it's going to be like their little pocket. I just saw it compared to Louise Hay's guide where she wrote the books 30, 40 years ago, You Could Heal Your Life, and then there was a little companion guide with that. And I see that his third book is going to help. It's going to be a companion guide that people can put in their pockets. And I'm seeing doctors putting it in their pockets. I mean, regular physicians that are very Harvard, Yale educated that are going to be working with his stuff. Wow. This Carrie O'Connor, that was a really great analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Ms. O'Connor. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Ryan. Joining us now is globally respected psychic comedian, Miss Lisa Kaza. You learn more about Miss Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, what can you tell us about Lou Smith and what can you tell us about Philip Smith? Well, I was actually showing some pretty neat stuff, stuff that I uh, wasn't prepared for. But um, I'll start off with Lou. <clears throat> Lou is one of the earliest, um, the best way for me to put it, is the earliest star persons to come to Earth. Really? So, yeah, one of the earliest, yeah. And realize, like, any earlier, had he come any earlier, then it wouldn't have been as well received even back then. So he was a major, major forerunner for everybody else that has come after him. Um even even other star persons. I mean, the majority of people um, that are indigo or crystal or rainbow, uh, they started showing up in the late 70s, and then there was this major surge in the mid-80s to late 90s. So that's when uh, a, a lot of the, the star people started to really show up. So Lou was really, really early in his, in his presence on this earth. Um, and his energy, I remember you talking about, uh, you know, is it quite possible that he was an uh, unfound uh, uh, Edgar Casey? And I had that in my mind. And I would have to say that I, I'm actually going to have to agree with you because he has a very strong energy, um, very similar energy, but at the same time different because, uh, because Lou, his spirit, has originated from the star persons. Whereas Edgar Casey, I feel I'm being told that he was more of like a wise one. So he's been here on Earth many, 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 many times. Edgar Casey. So that's the difference. The only, really, the only difference between the two of them is where the spirits originated from. And really, Lou was, for the most part, not found like Edgar Casey was, or a lot of the other earliest of forerunners, mainly due to his humbleness. This man was so humble and so f full of humility. He, like, he didn't go and press his teachings or his services or issues. He didn't advertise. He was just there, and he was there for 
well, like uh, I have been for the, uh, the longest time, I've had the belief, well, if people need me, they will find me. And that's pretty much how I'm being told Lou was. He had the same perspective. So that's why he wasn't really as, as you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Undiscovered. He was quite undiscovered in comparison to many. And it's a, it's a real shame because the next thing that I was shown was his animal totem, and that was the bear, the bear totem. And that's so fitting because the the bear is a keeper of medicine. And then this is what I was shown. It was really, really neat that kind of went with the bear totem, but also where his um, spirit originated from. As I said, he's one of the earliest of star people. I, and now this is something I just can't dream up. I heard the words Ursa Major. And I'm going, okay, what's Ursa Major now? Is that the Big Dipper? Oh, my goodness, that's the Big Dipper or Lower Dipper. It's the Constellation. I, You know me, skeptical psychic me. I did my research, checked it out, and that's definitely what it was. But in my research, is so funny, was that um, Ursa Major is also known as, quote-unquote, the great, Greater Bear. So that's where Lou has originated from. I just found that so cool. I need to ask you this about Lou, though. You said that the reason why Lou was not as successful or as widely known as Edgar Casey is because of the humblest. We've known on record that Edgar Casey was very humble as well. If you look at Edgar Casey, he didn't have a publicist. He was, people just kind of knew about who he was, and maybe he seemed to promote his business a little bit more. And Lou, I mean, it seemed like people knew who he was, but it just doesn't. It's all in the energy. It's all in the energy? All in the energy. Uh, from what I'm gathering, when it comes to Lou, it actually wasn't even in his energy, like the, wanting to advertise or, you know, for example, you have this thought in your head, oh, I really wish I could get more clients. I got to attract more clients, blah, blah, blah. He didn't even do that. Where, so it's in the energy. Whereas Edgar Casey, I do feel that there was that in his energy like it's oh, I you know I need to get this these teachings out I need to get my services out and how can I go about doing it I need to attract I need to attract so I guess the main difference there too I would have to say this is I was just thrown this the law of attraction I believe that Edgar Casey had a good grounded solid knowledge of the law of attraction he wouldn't outwardly physically go out and um, advertise, and he was humble, but in the energy, it's a completely different story. So that's that's what I'm picking up. That that's what the differences were. Okay. So, um, and then the the next thing that I was told is that uh, Lou, we can actually expect to see him returning. When do you think you'll see him returning? We'll, we'll see him. Returning. Uh, Within, the, I'd say, 15 to 20 years. Really? Mm-hmm. What is he coming back to evolve in? What What did he? What he, What things did he? What? Yeah, sorry. Well, he's he's going to come back to literally pick up where he left off. And I'm being told that he's going to fully remember all of his um, work from this life. Completely, totally, will remember that. And he's going to carry on. However, 
there's going to be a branching off. And I am wondering if this had been discussed when he was alive in this lifetime. But I'm wondering if he's ever thought about or, or, or talked about um, putting his healing practices with animals as well. Because he should. He should be. He should have. And this is what I think is going to happen in the next lifetime, is that he's going to pick up where he left off, but then branch out to all living beings. It can be done. And I, I have a wee message about that there, actually, um, in, in speaking of, of Philip, which I'll, I'll discuss now. The first thing is that uh, um, Philip is doing exactly what he should be doing. Uh, it's almost like he's his father's, not a, a student or understudy in a way, but at the same time, partner. Um, I don't know why I was told this. Uh, maybe it may have some significance to, to fill up. I'm not sure. But I think he was actually born late, or there's a wrong due date. Because I, I, I heard very loud he should have been a Leo. Really? <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know why. It's got some sort of connection to Lou. I don't know what it is, but that's, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know what the relevance to that is or anything, but I just needed to pass that along. Now, um, both Philip and Lou are connected spiritually. Um, now, like, yes, I do feel that there there was a past life together, but in this lifetime there's been, um, specifically I heard, a new soul agreement being made between the two of them. And what's happening is that in this lifetime, due to this new soul agreement, it's what I'm being shown, it's like an, an energetic or a spiritual cord. It looks like, almost identical to an actual umbilical cord between Philip and Lou. And information, guidance, and abilities are going back and forth between the two of them. Like, just, literally, picture an umbilical cord. Okay. Because that's, that's literally what's happening between the two of them. Is there, there, This is how Philip receives guidance and information and strengthening of his abilities, whereas also whatever Philip learns or experiences, that gets passed on to Lou, and he's going to retain that for when he returns in his next lifetime in 15, 20 years. So it's like they're, they're, they're working together. And it's a lot like a, a seesaw where when um, one leaves the physical plane, the other comes in. And it's like a never-ending cycle, a seesawing, back and forth, back and forth. And the, the two of them are working in this manner now, together. So Philip get a chance to experience a direct physical encounter with the reincarnation of his father in this lifetime? No, he will not. Okay. No, that's uh, definite. He won't. Um, and also, now, sorry, with that same question, will Lou reincarnate into the same soul cluster that him and Philip are a part of, or is Lou kind of jumping the cluster in terms of soul groups? Now, with this being a new soul agreement, I am being told, now I realize that folks should know me by now, some of this, these concepts are, I've just been introduced to, so I don't, 
you know, normally talk about things like this. So um, with this being a new soul agreement, that means apparently they do have to stay within the same uh, soul group. So for so long as at least those two remain connected in some way for the next, what am I, what am I seeing here? 150 years. 100 to 150 years okay. is what I'm being shown here. Can you tell us anything about Lou or Phil's past lives? No, I wasn't shown any. I wasn't shown any of that at all. All I know is that um, Lou is an extremely old soul, and Philip is is younger. That that's all I know. I wasn't uh, shown any of that at all. Okay, and also in terms of what the work that Philip is doing, you said that he's doing exactly what he should be doing. Yes, except uh, there's one thing to note, and this is what I had mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, well, firstly, let's backtrack for a second. I got ahead of myself. Um, Philip also has, I don't know whether he realizes this or not, maybe he does, but he also has a very strong ability to, to perform past life readings. And the reason for that, I'm being told, well, it's common knowledge, that for past life readings, those can heal emotionally. So Philip can actually branch himself out to not just the physical, but also the emotional. So I feel that he should start pursuing that because once he does, that uh, he's going to expand his entire consciousness, his entire being and spirit. Uh, with that being said, I was also told that every five years, um, he has and will experience uh, expansions or, or growth within his own abilities approximately every five years. Um, what was the next thing here? And, oh, yes, what I was getting to in terms of what he's supposed to be doing. Yes, he's doing exactly what he should be because he, he's working alongside his father. He's like a co-worker to his dad or a partner. That's the best uh, way to describe it. He's a partner <clears throat> with the healing work that his father has done. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, the healing uh, is intended to also include animals. So all breathing, living beings, both humans and both animals. So I, am, I was told specifically that Philip can actually start that now. And Philip can start healing animals? Yes. Yeah. At the or at the very least, start working on it. Start working towards it, um, <clears throat> because the info and experiences that Philip gets through doing that, and this is the cool thing of it, about this umbilical cord thing that I was showing. I've never been seen that in my life, but it, whatever he gathers, it's going to literally transfer over to Lou, so that he can use that. In his next life. Wow. So, like, like I said early on when I first uh, got on the air, it, I was showing some pretty cool things, things I'd never really seen before. So it was very interesting for me. But, yeah, it's a definite uh, transference or um, 
of energy and of abilities back and forth, a transference of information, of guidance. Um, that's the other thing is, for example, um, they're both... Philip and Lou are always going to remain connected because of, you know, like the, this umbilical cord thing that I see and the, the new soul agreement of working together. Well, when Lou gets reborn, realize like 15 to 20 years, uh, maybe 25 years even, uh, Philip may, you know, may not be on the earthly plane. But when he isn't, he's going to become Lou's guide or channeler, just like Lou is right now. That's pretty with wild. Phillip. The last question I have is: Is Lou trying to tell Philip any message at this point in time, or any series of messages? Or yes, okay, yes, and that's that's what I what I just finished saying about the animals. It needs to the the work on it at the very least needs to get started. It's important that he starts to, at the very least, start researching, start practicing, start gathering information because it's needed and it, it, it's a must. As you say, that's the most important message that ever that I've ever received. It's preparatory, and he needs to get working on it. It's Lisa Kaza. That was a fantastic analysis. Thank you, thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Kaza. Please go to our website at Lisa Kaza, L-A-S-A Kaza, C-A-Z-A dot com. Thank you so much, Ms. Kaza. Oh, it was a pleasure, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I want to give a special thanks to Mr. Lou and Mr. Philip Smith. Gentlemen, that was an incredible interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Laura Lynn, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Stellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you infinite peace, love, and beers. Have an unbelievable rest of the week. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. 
Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything!